0: How do you like them apples? (laughs) They just write a song a couple of days ago, and they sing it. Goodness gracious. Thank you, Mac. Thank you, team. Mac, we thank God for you, man. Yeah, amazing gift from God. A couple of things before I uh, bring the message. Uh, Let me do the easy one first. on february 12th we having our this is going to be our first first look lunch after church february 12th and this is an opportunity for those of you who have been permanent visitors and uh, green card holders <laughs> to look into the church and the vision and the ministry of the church and have an opportunity to consider joining and Trade in your green card for a passport (laughs) and being a member. So we just, no commitment, we invite you to sign up please so that our chef and and prepare for the lunch and our team under the leadership of Mike Slaughter can have the program uh, tailor-made. And so please sign up as early as you can. Uh, The second thing, that's not the easy one, that uh, Nick already alluded to, and that's last Thursday. Uh, two of our long-time members and very active in the church, uh, teaching, ministering, serving, praying. Uh, Bob and Bobby and uh, Sue Mitchell were involved in a car accident, and uh, Sue went to the Lord right away. Bob sustained some injuries. I went to see him yesterday at the hospital. Prayed with him. and uh, Sue also is Nona Stern's sister. Some of you might not know this. Nona Stern is one of our prayer warriors in this church. First person I called. And she was so filled with the joy of the Lord that I said to her, that's supernatural. Supernatural. We know Sue is right now in the presence of Jesus, praising him in a glorified body. And that gives us comfort. So, I would encourage you to think and pray and uh, support the Mitchell family, and um, we we stay tuned for announcements uh, regarding our celebration of her life. Will you pray with me? Father, your word says we sorrow, but we sorrow not like those who have no hope because we have our hope in Jesus and life in heaven for all of eternity. We thank you that your word said, precious in the eyes of the Lord, are the death of his saints. And so, Father, as we transfer membership yet again, another member of this church to the membership in the church above, We ask you to hasten your return, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Your people are waiting for you. Your church is waiting for you. Meanwhile, help us to not put on white robes and head for the mountains, but occupy until you come. For we pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said amen. Amen. A while back, I spoke to you about the issue of love, uh, the issue of power. Uh, He got my mind on love here, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But I talked about power in terms of the secular power. And certainly, as Nick prayed this morning, and and, and indeed we are watching, we are viewing a tremendous display of abuse of power. This type of abuse of power was very common during the life of our Lord Jesus Christ here on earth. Uh, The Caesars, who ruled Rome with an iron fist, abused power. In Palestine, the Roman soldiers perfected the use and the abuse of power. (coughs) And yet our Lord Himself, who was conscious of the abuse of power all around Him at that time, He gave His disciples a unique type of power, that the world had never known before. Of course, He gave them power over sin. He gave them power over evil spirits. He gave them power over diseases and sickness. But He also gave them a power that the world had never known, that the world could not comprehend at the time. He imparted to them the power of love. In John 13, and I hope you turn to it with me, please Jesus told his disciples that he's going to literally give them secret to power that, the, that they would change the world through them. Uh, and I think all of us have experienced the feeling of powerlessness. We all know the feeling of powerlessness, and when we stand helpless and powerless in front of our formidable disease, uh, foreboding circumstances, and certainly we stand helpless in the face of death. Those are the moment when we feel powerless. And Jesus said to everyone who would be his disciples, to everyone who would be their disciple. In John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. I think anyone who knows the Scripture, with this at the moment, and said, hang in there, wait a minute, wait a minute, what is this thing about new? How can that be a new commandment When the greatest commandment in the Old Testament is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. How can that be new? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever asked that question. What is new about it? Thank God He gives us the answer in the next sentence that I don't have to come up with the answer. And this is what is new. As I have loved you, so you love one another. That's what's new about it. You say, why? Because nobody ever seen this kind of love. Nobody loved like Jesus. In verse 35, he said, By this love, the world will know that you are my disciples. Whose disciple? Whose disciple? When the world sees the disciples of Jesus loving one another by the power of the Holy Spirit, supernaturally, divinely, now you notice that he did not say, the world is going to appreciate you for that love. He didn't say, he did not say the world will applaud you for your love. He did not say the world is going to welcome that kind of love or going to welcome you because of that kind of love. He said, no. The world will know you by that love. He will know you. That's how they're going to know you. They may not like you. They may hate you. But at least they will know you by this kind of love. Something else I don't want you to miss here before I get to the message. He did not say that this love is going to be easy. Did you get that? It's not going to be easy. He didn't say this is a walk in the park. He didn't say that's going to come naturally to you. No, in fact, in the last message we saw that the first mark and the first step of being a disciple of Jesus, we're not the disciples of this church, we're not disciples of church leaders, we are disciples of who? The world, the first step is to have absolute loyalty to Jesus. And I explained all that, and if you weren't here, download it. (laughs) And when that commitment to absolute loyalty to Jesus takes place, he takes over. He takes care of the rest. So the second mark indication of being a disciple of Jesus is loving Jesus, but also loving like Jesus. Loving like Jesus. In the next message, I'm going to show you how to, the third one is living like Jesus. Now, if you already asked the question, who in the world can love like Jesus? You're not alone. You're not alone. I've asked that in the past, and indeed, I ask that question often. But hang in there with me, okay? Let me highlight the greatest challenge first before I get to the core of the text I want to highlight the challenge, and it's unprecedented in my lifetime, and I know in most of your lifetimes, the challenge for the disciples of Jesus right now in this 21st century. When it comes to love like Jesus, we have a modern challenge. Every generation has its own challenges. I'm not denying that at all. But we have a unique challenge right now about love. Because in Western culture, we have torn that word love to shreds. Love now means loving sin. Not the sinner, just the sinner, which we're commanded to, but loving the sin. I have somebody looked at me in the eye and said, if you don't love what I do, you don't love me. Loving now means love what is wrong and shun what is right. Loving now means that objective truth is wrong. But loving like Jesus means, listen to me please, it means absolute, total, and equivocal obedience to the Word of God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Now, in today's world, children might want to apply this and say, if my parents love me, they should let me do whatever I want to do. Spouse would say, if my spouse loves me, well, let me do what I want to do. This is how confused we have become. This is how confused our society and our culture have become regarding love. Their motto is, if you love me, you will let me, and then you fill in the space. That's that's really what is going on in the very core of our culture today. And you notice where the emphasis is here. Me, 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 me. But Jesus' love is not focused on the one who wants to be loved. Jesus' focus is on the one who's doing the loving. Not the one who demands it. Someone would say, oh, Michael, are you trying to tell me that I should do all the loving and not expect to be loved back? Bingo! <laughs> uh, I know another Catholic church. But bingo, bing, hit the mark. I said, as I said before, that our culture has perverted the whole concept of love. Some use love as a leverage to get others to do for them what they selfishly want. The whole focus is on a demand of the recipient of love. The whole emphasis is on the never condemning, what God condemns, and never hating what God hates, and never rejecting what God rejects. In fact, those who reject what God rejects, they are condemned as unloving. They immediately cancel you. They immediately ostracize you. And, I, and I'm highlighting this perversion for a reason. Listen to me, please. Whenever I'm down on my knees and I'm praying and seeking the mind of God with the Word of God in front of me, I, am, I want to apply the Word of God to everyday life I, and, and, and not just kind of sit there and give you some philosophical ideas or even philosophical interpretation of the Scripture. And the reason I'm highlighting this, because I am pleading with beloved brothers and sisters in Christ here, and also watching around the world, that we need to prove ourselves. We need to protect ourselves from this error that is rampant in schools, it's rampant in society, it's rampant in many woke churches. not only just protect ourselves, but also in order to warn and help those whom we disciple for Christ, our children. If you watch some of the Senate confirmation hearing of judges or other officials, you hear the shrill by those who have perverted love according to Jesus. As I said... We need not only protect ourselves, but we also need to understand, comprehend, and pass on that protection to those whom God entrusts us to disciple the next generation. You know, that's the burden of my heart. This is the burden of the vision of this church throughout this this decade of the 20s. Now, beloved, we must teach the next generation that it is out of love that we condemn sin. Why? Because sin is harmful, because sin hurts families, because sin destroys communities, because sin creates an upheaval in society, and ultimately sin dishonors God. And if you love Jesus and love like Jesus, We must point to the harm of sin. Don't ever hesitate. Don't ever hesitate. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Whose disciple? As you know, in this church, we always put the text where? Hey, God bless you. Some got it we've placed the text where I mean even speaking to Australian audience last uh, uh, November they, they got it they've been they've been watching so they, they 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 understood putting the text in its context and John 13 where Jesus told them to love one another it was right after he washed the stinky feet <laughs> and beloved, this is not a derogatory term. This is not about the smelly feet. I said the stinky because it is was it was stinky feet. <laughs> the, this is a fact. Back then they did not wear socks and, and, and nice shoes and, and, and rode on cars and walk on paved roads. No, they were either barefooted or flimsy sandals and walking in dirt road. Not only that, but the washing of the feet when a person, a guest, comes into the house was always relegated to the very lowest in the service hierarchy, among the servants. It's the very lowest. Even in British aristocracy, you'll never have a butler do the work of a footman. Think about it this way that was the task that was given to the lowest among the servants. But there's more. You and I may understand Jesus washing Peter's feet, right? He's the CEO, COO. He was the chief operating officer of this outfit, the disciples. He was a chief disciple. You understand Jesus washing his feet. You understand Jesus washing John's feet. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he leaned on Jesus' shoulder. (laughs) But Judas, Judas' feet, Jesus knew that Judas already sold him down the drain. Jesus knew that Peter is going to deny him three times. Jesus knew that every one of them are going to flee and leave him all alone. And yet, the explanation is in verse 1 of chapter 13. Verse 1, he loved them to the end. We probably would say he loved them to the bitter end. To the bitter end. There is no end to his love. Now, beloved, this is not human love. This is not self-serving love. This is not selfish love. This is not uh, uh, possessive love. This is not twisted love. This is redemptive love. This is divine love. This is brand new kind of love that they've never seen or experienced before. And that is why I said in the very beginning, it is neither natural nor easy. This is supernatural. And this supernatural love is why we can never, never never manufacture, we can never, never accomplish in a hundred lifetimes. We cannot do it in our own strength. Only God can love through us. And that is why it is totally required a total and absolute surrender and dependence on the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit of God can empower us to exercise this type of love. One of the most amazing stories that I've ever heard was back in the time when I used to travel in Asia a great deal. And as my wife would tell you, in the late 70s and most of the 80s, I was on the road all the time, and I would go to Asia maybe four or five times a year. I'd literally come back from a trip from around the world preparing for the next one. And this story really tugged on my heart when I heard it for the first time. And it took place during the Korean War. A Christian civilian was arrested by the communists, and they passed sentence that he is to die by firing squad. When the communist officer in charge to order the the shooting found out that this Christian man is running an orphanage, for children. He decided to spare his life. But instead, he decided that he's going to shoot and kill his 19-year-old son in front of him. And the Christian believer was forced to watch his 19-year-old son being shot to death before his own eyes. In the course of the war, that very same communist officer Who ordered the shooting of the Christian man's son was captured by the Allied forces and he was tried and condemned to death. Before the sentencing of this man, the Christian man went to the authorities, uh, the the Allied commander who was about to execute him, uh, execute the communists, and he said to him, Said, sir, will you please? Allow me to have this man given to my custody. He does not know what he's doing. He doesn't know what he's doing. And the commander in the Allied forces granted him his wish. And the request was granted. And the murderer was released to the father of the very young man he killed. The Christian man fulfilled his pledge. And the result of this Christ-like love, this redemptive love, this humanly impossible love, that communist officer later became a prominent Christian pastor in South Korea. Am I saying loving like Jesus is easy? No. I've always been truthful with you. Absolutely not. Only Christ Himself can empower us to love like Christ. Whose mm-hmm. disciple? And the question remains how do we love like Jesus? How do we love like Jesus? Here are several steps I'm going to share with you from my heart and do with them what God leads you to do. Every time, that's the first step, every time you are hurt by a brother or sister or another disciple of Christ. Now, whether that hurt was intentional or unintentional on their part, because sometimes it's unintentional. The first thing, the first step that should occur is this. Confess to yourself, admit to yourself that, yes, she hurt me deeply. Yes, he abused me. Yes, she destroyed me, nearly destroyed me. Please do not deny reality. This is the problem. Don't deny reality. Admit the wrong to yourself. Admit it. Confess it. To yourself. Do you get that? To yourself. And then ask yourself the question. Did Jesus forgive me? Does Jesus continue to forgive me? Does Jesus keep on forgiving me? And you're going to find the answer is yes. Then how come I'm happy to receive forgiveness from His hand, but not dispense forgiveness to others in His name? Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, beloved, all of us are disciples of Jesus are compelled to love like Jesus. I've written my testimony in several of my books. And for those of you who have not known or read, I'll tell you very briefly, very, very, very briefly. In my younger years, my modus operandi is that I will deal double of whatever is dealt to me. You can figure that out when you go home. The short temper that would flare in a moment. Unforgiveness. But on a cloudy, dull day, just like today, uh, in Sydney, Australia in 1973, I went on my face before God and I said, I cannot serve you. With this anger and temper. Another confession while I'm at it. <laughs> I hope you give me absolution later. I actually used to blame God for that, but I did it very nicely. I wasn't belligerent about it. I did it for just, just didn't. God made me that way. Huh? Put the blame on God. I inherited from my father. It's just my disposition. God allowed this. God is the one who made me this way. And I tried to overcome by my own strength, and I failed miserably again and again until the Lord enrolled me in the school of loving like Jesus. And let me tell you, it is painful on the flesh. (laughs) But now that has become part of my testimony through the years, It wasn't then. It wasn't easy then. It is now. To this day, I'm going to tell you, listen to me, please. Beloved, listen to me. To this day, if I'm not walking with Jesus, and I'm not talking about just daily walk with Jesus and say your prayer in the morning and all that kind of stuff. No, no, no. I'm talking about walking with Jesus moment by moment. Moment by moment. To this day. Unless I'm walking with Jesus moment by moment, I find it difficult to love like Jesus. Again, let me remind you that loving like Jesus does not mean winking at sin. Certainly, sin in my life. I take the scripture very seriously. And when I condemn the sin in my life, I escape the judgment of God judging that sin in my life. Loving like Jesus compels us to call sin, sin, compels us to condemn sin. It compels us to never pretend that it didn't happen. Beloved, That's sentimentality. I often chuckle sometimes when I hear some preachers who say, We are supposed to forgive and forget, and we forget, we need to forget, one of us forget. I was, what did I think? We should be supposed to kind of get hit in the head and get an amnesia and somehow forget. No. That's erroneous thinking. First of all, after you take the first step and you verbalize it, confess it to yourself and to God that the hurt is real hurt. The second thing is that I verbally, in the presence of God, and only in the presence of God, did he get that? I'm going to repeat it. Only in the presence of God, I declare my forgiveness for that person. Just to God. Only to God. That's the second step. Because then and only then, When and if the person comes and asks for forgiveness, you're ready to dispense it. Listen to me. If they never come and ask for forgiveness, keep it between you and God. You dealt with it inside here, in your heart. Why I'm saying this? Because if you walk up to somebody and say, I forgive you. The person might never have been aware that he did any, cause any hurt, eh? or, or, or just never refused to acknowledge it. I mean, you get yourself into hot water, which comes to the fourth step. When someone comes and asks for forgiveness, don't pretend that it was not a problem. Don't say, "Oh, that's all right. Don't do that." And now people do that. Don't say, "Oh, don't worry about it." They should worry about it. (laughs) Calling sin, sin, beloved, listen to me. Calling sin, sin is not being judgmental or harsh. It's being honest. It's being truthful. When a person asks for forgiveness, thank them. Thank them. Don't say, yeah, I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. You see, forgetting, as I said, doesn't mean you're going to get knocked in your head and have a erasing of the memory. That doesn't mean that in the Scripture at all. When God forgives and forgets, it doesn't mean that God, somehow, the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God, lost His memories. No. But when the Bible talks about God forgets our sin, it means that He does not hold it against us in the future. It means that he does not keep an account ledger on the file and files it away and brings it out every payday. (laughs) It does not mean that at all. It means that he removed it from the debit column. He removed it from the debit column. It's no longer there. Then love like Jesus. You know, when Peter didn't... Denied Jesus three times after warning him. He denied Jesus three times. After the resurrection, Jesus didn't walk out to Peter and said, Peter, I forgive you that miserable thing you did, denying me after I warned you. No. asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? So the question is, when do you think Jesus forgave Peter? I'm going to show you. Immediately, as soon as he heard the third denial, because the Bible said Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And after the resurrection, Jesus said to the women to go and tell the disciples and Peter of his resurrection. Something else I want to tell you as I'm coming toward the end here. When Jesus forgave the crowd standing there, here he is, stretched on the gibbet, Agony. He is a... I forgive you, you miserable people. Or even just, I forgive you. No, he didn't talk to them at all. He didn't talk to them at all. He talked to his father. He said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. Forgive them. It was between him and the father. When you hurt, Talk to your heavenly Father about those who hurt you by forgiving them. Because only the Father can give us that supernatural power to forgive. Why is this so important? Why I'm harping at it like a broken record? Listen to me. Listen to me. There's there's a method in my madness. Please trust me. Just trust me. The reason for that is because the Bible said, if I incline a sin in my heart, God will not answer my prayers. God will not answer me. Where is where is the incline? Inwardly, inside, where nobody can see it. But inside of me, if I hide the sin of unforgiveness, if I nurture the sin of unforgiveness, if I host the sin of unforgiveness, if I entertain the sin of unforgiveness, God will not answer my prayers. Oh, please listen. Please listen. There are some who are angry with God. You may be one who's angry with God for whatever reason. Because he allowed something that's so unfair and unjust as far as you're concerned, and you're angry with God. And you say, Why did he allow that? There's some people walking around angry with God. And I hear some preachers say, Well, you need to forgive God. Well, I find that very blaspheming. It's a blasphemy. You need to ask God to forgive you for not understanding that in all things, how many? God working together for the good. Whose disciple? Jesus. Let me tell you this true story as I conclude. Whenever I think of loving like Jesus, I think of this story. And I knew I'd written it in one of my 51 books, I couldn't remember, but I went around kind of searching in, in my own library, looking at my different books, and I, I found it. It was in my book, Fearless Living in Troubled Times. And I tell the story, I could have told it without reference, but I wanted to reference it back to what I wrote. And it's about a man named David Simmons. He was an offensive back with St. Louis Cardinals, the New Orleans Saints, and... The Dallas Cowboys. His father was a very harsh man and and a demanding military man who rarely said a good word or an encouraging word to his son. When Dave began playing football in high school, his father criticized him mercilessly. No matter how well he played, Day's father would come to him after the game. He didn't even wait till he got home. Right after the game, with a list of mistakes that he made. I used to have a beloved, beloved, beloved brother here who <laughs> he went to be with the Lord, and he would never let me get away with any even a, a grammatical mistake or or just a mistake, a, a, a slip of the tongue. He'd be waiting for me outside. I said, "Brother, you made this mistake." I said, "Could you wait till tomorrow?" <laughs> <laughs> Like Dave's father. Dave's father just would go ahead and give him the list of mistakes that he made. No matter how well he played, Dave's father would come to him after the game and criticize him. He never received one positive word of encouragement from his dad. After high school, Dave received several offers of scholarship from a number of colleges, several scholarships so a number of colleges. And, but he decided to play for the UGA. Now, just of you pumping yourself and, and proud of your school, which you should be, that's fine. But he did not choose it because it's University of Georgia. He chose it because it was the furthest away from home. He <laughs> wanted to get as far away from home as possible. After a successful college career, He went to the NFL draft. He was selected by the St. Louis Cardinals as a second round pick. Dave was so excited that he called his father immediately to tell him the news that he was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals. And Dave's father's response was, quote, how do you feel to be second? Please listen to me. Those words, Dave said, stung, stung him. But because Dave gave his life to Christ and he wanted to love like Christ, he kept on loving his dad. He kept on loving his father like Christ. In the years that followed, David would visit with his dad, his father, and and he would love on him. And one day he began to ask his father about his his own upbringing, the father's upbringing, his childhood, something Dave's father never talked about. But Dave's love finally got his father to open up and talk about his own father, Dave's grandfather. He was a lumberjack with a nasty temper. Once uh, his grandfather took a sledgehammer to a pickup truck, and he destroyed it, simply because it wouldn't start. Not only that, but Dave's father beat, Dave's grandfather beat his father when he was a boy so severely, never said a positive word to his son. These conversations really opened Dave's eyes to the kind of upbringing his father had and experience and why he was the way he was. And David recalled that because of these conversations and his loving his father like Jesus, he would say, and I'm going to quote word for word here, by the time he died, I can honestly say we were friends. Loving like Jesus is the mark of discipleship. You know, the pagans in the 2nd century A.D. used to say, and it was quoted by Tertullian, one of the early Christian fathers, they used to say, oh, look at them. Look how they love one another. And beloved, the world will be able to look at Jesus' disciples in the Church of the Apostles In these dark days, in these lost days, they'll be able to look at the disciples of Jesus in this church, and they would say, look how they love one another. Can I get an amen? You stand up and pray with me, please. Father, if anyone is like me in this place or watching around the world, uh, they feel so inadequate and so incapable and conscious of their own shortcomings like I am. But Father, we thank you that your grace covers it all, that your love covers a multitude of sins. That we thank you for that love that is unprecedented, that is inexplicable, that doesn't make sense to the world. But we do because you've given us your Holy Spirit. May you in these last days empower us to love like Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.